We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. A couple more things real quick. You know, um, in their seats, there's a little uh, piece of paper and it's a prayer request. And uh, one of the things the Lord's kind of shown us over the years and laid on our hearts is there's always those heavy prayer request situations. And, uh, you know, we want to pray faithfully. We believe God answers prayer. And, uh, and if you're here and, and you or maybe one of your loved ones, uh, maybe they have cancer or they're really sick, we want to get you that, that, that loved one on a list uh, uh, that we can lift up to the Lord. Or maybe you're here and your spouse is not saved. Uh, we're putting together a list and we want to faithfully bring your spouse to the Lord. Or maybe uh, you're here and uh, you're having problems in your marriage. A lot of times what we find is that those marriages, uh, sometimes even you know physically separated, we want to pray for your marriages. And so... Um, you know, a few things the Lord kind of laid on my heart as far as uh, you see these situations and it's just heartbreaking. And, you know, in Genesis chapter 32, Jacob wrestled with God and he prevailed in prayer. And so we want to wrestle for you if you're sick or maybe your marriage is, uh, is hurting or maybe you find yourself where your loved one doesn't know the Lord. It could be your spouse or maybe even a parent or a child and we just want to put you put them on the list you know and uh and lift lift you up to the lord and so if you could there's those prayer request things in the in the seats and you can put it in the agape box or give it to the usher and uh and we'll really really pray for you but if you have a bible today let's open up to the book of titus Titus, and we start the book, we're in chapter 1, and today we're going to go through just uh, four verses. As we start this, it's a little book, but man, it's, a, it's really a book that can change your life. You know, Martin Luther said, this is a short epistle, but it contains such a quintessence of Christian doctrine, and it's in, composed in such a masterly manner that it contains all that is needful for Christian knowledge and life. You know, this book right here can really do a work. Um, when we come to church service, we want the Lord to touch us. We want Him to teach us. We want Him to bring salvation. We want Him to bring transformation. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better son, friend, servant of God. And the way that those things happen is God, by His Holy Spirit, will take His Word and He'll plant it in my heart. It's a seed. And as I learn, then I learn His will for my life. And it's so cool. You know, things then begin to change. You know, we're going to study this book for the next seven weeks, Lord willing. And it's jam-packed with powerful truths that can transform us as God's people. You know, the book of Titus is categorized as a pastoral letter. It was written about the same time as 1 Timothy or maybe a little after, uh, but more than likely probably around 64 AD. 
As you go through Titus, you're going to see some similarities to 1 Timothy. And here we're going to see he instructs his young protege, Titus, not only as a pastor, but we're going to see as a pastor's pastor. And so what had happened was Paul had left Titus there in Crete, and there's this island that's still there today. Uh, in order to kind of set things order in order in that area, to kind of get rid of false teachers, to ordain pastors. And here's one of the main things, and that is to call the congregation to live a life that is worthy of their calling as Christians. You guys, and that's kind of really got to be the emphasis here. You know, when you go to a football game and you see those guys huddle, you know, they are there for a purpose. They're there to find out what the, the, what the play is, what the marching orders are. But then that huddle breaks and they go and they execute, right? And that's what we have to have in our heart. You know, when we come to church service, it's almost like a huddle. But then we go out there in the valleys and the alleys and the highways and the byways. We go out there into the streets and the guttermost places and God wants to use our life to make a difference, man. God wants to work in us and God wants to work through us. And it's not just a religion because I think a lot of times what happens is we think, well, you know, my, my part of it is going to church. No, that's not just your part of it. Yes, you need to be in fellowship and you need to you know, be in that place where you're sitting at God's feet and you're kneeling and you're crying and you're praying and you're reading your Bible. And you're spending time with the Lord. You've got to have that. But then you've got to get up and then you've got to go out there. We've got to live the life. It can't just be a religion where we're kind of familiar with the outside of holy things. We've got to let it change our life. We've got to live the life. You know, I mean, even yesterday, you know, every once in a while, I'll get a little victory here and there. You know, I was on my way home yesterday and, you know, I thought to myself uh, after here studying, I said, I'm going to go home and I got in my truck uh, and I said, I'm going to listen to a Bible study. And that's a good thing. But then another thought came into my mind and the other thought was, well, why don't you call your dad? You know, and, and for a lot of times for Christians, we're thinking, no, well, the good thing that God wants me to do is to listen to the Bible study. Well, maybe. But for a lot of us here, I think maybe he would rather have you call your dad. Right? Because one is kind of like a religious thing, and it's cool, and God will use it. That's fine. It's between you and the Lord. But the other thing is like reality, life, people. And so, you know, by God's grace, I got on the, on the phone, I called my dad, I did it illegally. No, I'm just joking. I didn't. But I have one of those things, you know, where I can talk into, man. And I had just a wonderful conversation with my dad. And that's what Titus does. That's what this book is really all about. It's not just about believing. It's about behaving. It's not just a creed. It's a conduct. It's a life that God wants us to live. And it's going to be cool going through the book. We're going to see God wants to change us. You know, Paul left Titus there to set things in order, even though uh, Crete was a tough place to minister. We're going to see as we go through this letter that the people of uh, Crete, they were uh, lazy and they were liars. They had a bad reputation, man. And a lot of people think, well, maybe Titus was getting discouraged, you know, because of that. But you know what? It doesn't matter what your background is. You know, it doesn't matter, man. God can do such a wonderful work in and through your life. 
And that's probably one of the testimonies of Calvary Chapel. God can take this guy over here who did LSD, who doesn't even think he has a brain, and, and God can raise him up and use him as a pastor to save people. God can take this guy over here, you know, who's got shot, he's left for dead, he's sleeping in the gutter. This guy over here, he doesn't even know how to read. And now he's raised up to teach the Bible. See, it doesn't matter what your background is. God can do a great work because it's not you, it's, it's him. And here we had these people that were lazy, people that were liars. But God was going to do a great work there in Crete. Now, as far as how the church started, we don't know. We're not sure. We know that you know, the Cretans were present on the day of Pentecost, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 11. And so it is possible that some were saved on that glorious day of Pentecost, and then they took the gospel back to their homeland. We also know that Paul was shipwrecked on the island of Crete, according to Acts 27, verse 7. Uh, we know he wasn't there long, and there's no mention of him ministering at that time. But somewhere along the line, God planted a church right there in the island of Crete, and Paul somehow became a part of it. He must have been used by God to impact the church in a great way, eventually visiting the island there and leaving Titus to set things in order. So obviously God used him and gave him that element of spiritual authority. You know, in case you're wondering, um, the island of Crete is still around today. It's one of the largest and most populous of the Greek islands. Uh, I read where at one place it said it's the fourth largest island in the Mediterranean Sea, uh, 3,219 square miles with a population of 623,000 people. Uh, they say 97% of them are Greek Orthodox. I think we have a picture of uh, the island of Crete. I'm not sure. And so that's modern-day Crete. Doesn't that look beautiful? It looks really nice. I think we should go there and, uh, and study the book of Titus. I think that would be cool. And then we have another picture here that gives you uh, kind of like the range of, of Titus uh, ministry. Do we have one more? Yeah. And there you can kind of see uh, the island. Uh, there's Italy. And it's a big island right there. Uh, but then it's magnified according to tradition Titus was the pastor of that church right there in Gortna. And, uh, and it's from there that he would send out and go to the other churches in the island. And we're going to see set things in order, get rid of false teachers, and ordain uh, elders in every city. But um, let's look at the, at the book. It says in verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, a true son in our common faith. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Kind of a long opening, salutation. We see in verses 1 through 3, the writer of the letter, and a little bit about him. And then we see in verse 4, the recipient of the letter. The writer of the letter is Paul. And I love the way he identifies himself. Notice there again in verse 1, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
The Greek word translated bondservant is the word doulos and it refers to a slave. Paul considered himself a slave, one who had surrendered his will, abandoned his will to his master. You know, nowadays uh, here in America, slavery is illegal and rightly so. I don't think, you know, men should be slaves of men. But men should be slaves of God. That's why God used Paul in such a great way, because he knew who he was. I'm not a guy who picks and chooses. I'm not a guy who lives to get my will done, not what I want. You know, when we get things right and we really want to see the Lord use us and work in us and then through us, it has to be nothing less than becoming a bondservant of God. If you go back to Exodus 19, if you go back to Deuteronomy, what you find is there uh, we have the history of a bondservant and uh, sorry, Exodus 21, Deuteronomy 15, and there you find that when the Jewish man served for seven years, after seven years he could go free and he could do whatever he want. But they, there was an option at that point. According to the law, Exodus 21, Deuteronomy 15, if he wanted to, he could make a decision. He says, I don't want to go out there and do my own thing. I don't want to go out there and do my own will. I choose rather to be a bondservant to my master. I love him. I love my family. And if he made that choice, then they would take him and then they would take him to the doorpost and they would pierce his ear and he would become a bondservant forever. And I, all of us, we all come to that crossroads in our life. You know, you want to... God, you know, is, is giving you the freedom. I, I like what one person said, God is, God is responsible for the fact of freedom. Not the acts of freedom, but the fact of freedom. God has given you a free will. You can go out and you can do whatever you want. You know, and, and you're free and you go out and a lot of people do whatever they want. But if you want to, you can take that will and you can surrender it to the Lord. And you can say, Lord, it's no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Where you're recklessly abandoned. You know, you read the Gospel of John and you just cannot help but come away with the fact that even Jesus, every single minute and hour of every day, was surrendered to his Father's will. And that's who Paul was. He was a slave. He was a bondservant. Notice it says right here, he was, in verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, some might wonder how Paul and all these guys were able to make such an impact to the ends of the earth and how they brought so much glory to God. And the answer is found in the simplicity of their theology, in the simplicity of their identity. They were simply slaves of the Savior who sent them. And that's what the word apostle is all about. The Greek word, it comes to us from another Greek word, which means to send. And it refers to a delegate, an ambassador, one sent forth with orders. But in this case, referring to one of the 12 especially selected apostles of Jesus Christ. You know, when you read the Bible, you come across the word apostle in different contexts. 
And some of those are missionaries. You know, they're just people that are sent by God and it's an amazing thing. But then there are others that are apostles, ones of the twelve, where you read in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 14, that one day when we're home in heaven, we're going to see 12 walls around Jerusalem. And on the foundation of those 12 walls, God will have rewarded these 12 apostles because of their faithfulness by writing their names on the foundations of these 12 walls. These guys were completely committed recklessly abandoned, called by Jesus Christ. The Bible says that the church is built on the foundation of their theology. We read that in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And that's who Paul is. It's so cool to know who you are, you guys. You know, one of the things that I want to encourage you guys to do is to always be yourself. You know, um, I love the way that like, you know, some of you here, you're kind of kind of weird. I actually like that, you know? Imagine, I love the creativity here, don't you? I mean, look around this room. Come on, you know? I love the different personalities here. What a blessing. Aren't you glad that God doesn't clone people? Aren't you glad that you're not all like me? How boring that would be, man. But at the same time, even though we all have our different personalities and the things that definitely... Our, our, our variations here, there are some things that got to be the same. And, you know, when I think of this right here, I think of Paul, I think of the fact that he's a bondservant, I think of the fact that he's an apostle, and I pray that we can really identify with that. There are some things that we got to have in common. I pray you would have a passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ like Paul did. Because we read next about his purpose. Notice there again, verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Here it is, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness. Paul's purpose, really, was to be used by God to bring the elect of God to God and that Ultimately, they would be with God and they would be like God. Not in his, you know, non-communicable attributes, but in his communicable attributes. God wants, you know, us to know our purpose. God wants to use your life to bring others to him and then others would be like him. His whole purpose was to share the gospel and bring people to faith that, that word faith, according to the faith, to bring them to faith in Christ. And the way that he would do that, he would share the word, Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You share Jesus with somebody. You share the truth of the Bible with somebody. And then they believe in that, this faith, and God does a great work. You know, it's this faith, it says, of God's elect. Now, who are God's elect? Does that mean that God chooses some for heaven? and not others. Now, just in case you're here and you ever come across that doctrine, we don't believe that personally here at Calvary Chapel Almani. We don't believe that God chose some for heaven and didn't choose everybody else, like he didn't give them a chance. No, we don't believe that. We believe that the elect is defined in the scripture as uh, the elect according to God's foreknowledge. That God, in his omniscience, who looks down the corridors of time, and in one sense, he sees those who would choose him. And so he 
defines them as the elected ones, the selected ones, the chosen. And what we find when it all said and done, and I know sometimes it's hard to understand, is that when you're saved, you were chosen by God. You were chosen by God, and somewhere in there, you also chose Him. And so Paul says, my purpose is I want to bring people to faith. and The, the ones that, you know, one day we're going to be home in heaven, I want to bring them to faith in God so that they would be with God, so that they would be like God. Notice again, it says right there, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. You know, what we find right here in the end is that God, and we're going to see it especially emphasized in the book of Titus, is the Lord does want us to be with him and the Lord wants us to be like him, right? And when you think of the Lord, what do you think of? Like, how is he? I mean, he's loving, he's compassionate, he's forgiving, he's wonderful. You know, when the sinner would come to him, would, would, would Jesus get all upset, you know, with the prostitute? No, he loved her. You know, and this one over here. You know, I read a story about um, a, a, a car that got stolen. And it got stolen, of course, in, in California, L.A. area. And, uh, and they just sent out this radio uh, thing, the news, all around the country in order to recover this you know, car to find out who stole it. And the story was interesting um, because you're thinking, well, why did they do that? Why, would they, you know, why are they so concerned about you know, finding whoever stole this car in California and they're sending out the news to the whole country? And the reason was, in this case, that the owner of that car had just got some crackers laced with uh, poison because he was going to go try to kill some rats. And so the, the thing is, this whole message went out. It wasn't because they were trying to find some criminal. It's because they were trying to save someone's life. And that's the way it is with the gospel. You know, people are out there and they're sinners. And I, and I think sometimes we as Christians, we're like, you're so bad and you're so bad and you're so bad and you're, so, you're a criminal. And God's saying that's not the reason for this message that's going out. It's because people are dying and God has compassion for them. That's why. And when you have that heart, I think, of, of compassion and you become like Jesus, See, that's where God wants to move us to. God loves you. God wants to work in you. And God wants to work through you. God wants to work through you to make people to be with him. And God wants to use your life, not hammering people, but loving people so that they can eventually be even like the Lord. It's so cool. You know, that's what we find right here. Paul, he knew his purpose. And Paul, he knew the promise. Look there in verse 2. Uh, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. You know, the other day I was talking to this guy and uh, he was, uh, you know, I'm asking him, how you doing? And he said, I'm doing okay. How you doing? And I told him, you know what? I'm breaking down, bro. My shoulder's all messed up. You know how I messed up my shoulder? I'm going to share this with you guys. I was playing Wii baseball with my son. 
And he was winning, and I'm, you know, I just know how to wee baseball. It's not even a real baseball, man. <laughs> but I was playing it with my son, and I said, oh, I think I just injured my shoulder, you know? And uh, so my shoulder's messed up, my knee's messed up, you know? You know, you go to the doctors, and I tell the doctor, hey, I can't, I can't read, you know? I, I was like, you know, I, I think that I've been just reading too much. And he said, no, you're just getting old. <laughs> you're just getting old. And, what, and just things are breaking down. Bottom line is, it's just a temporary life. But we have eternal life. I have eternal life. One day I'm going to get a new arm. I'm going to beat Aaron in wee baseball, man. You know, this is a, a hope. He says there in verse 2, in hope of eternal life. Now when the Bible speaks of hope, it's not like cross my fingers, I hope it happens. No, it's a certain certainty about the future. This is a slam dunk. It's not a question mark, it's an exclamation point. God says, this is something that I promise you. Before time began, the promise went out, but now it's real. To my people, I promise you, eternal life you know and so i go and i visit this guy in the hospital and the things don't look good and the doctors say and he's kind of even acknowledging the fact that he is going to die he's about to die physically but he's got a big smile on his face and he's rejoicing and he's lifting his hands and he's praising god how can he do that right when he's staring death in the face and the answer is because he knows god doesn't lie Eternal life is true. You know, the moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord, and you're like, I don't know about these weird Christians. I don't even know why I'm here. Maybe they promise you breakfast afterwards. I don't know. But, you know, you're here today, and maybe you don't really know the Lord. You're not really sure where you stand with the Lord. I'm here to tell you this, that God made a promise to you. A promise to you. He said, all you have to do is repent of your sins and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And those sins, they separate us from God. But the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so God wants to give you a gift, and that is eternal life. And it's a promise he made, and he says, I promise you, if you take that step of faith, man, you're going to have it. And so... Paul here, he is so cool. He knows his purpose and he knows the promise. And he knows this is real. This is as real. This is reality. And he functions in that. He knows his purpose. He knows his promise. And he knows how to get things done. And that is by preaching. Look at verse 3. But as in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God, our Savior. You know, the promise before time is now revealed in time, and we do the reaching by doing the preaching of God's Word. You know, and that's so cool, you guys, just to know the responsibility that we have as a church. And, you know, I pray, and I know for me it's hard, you know, to do topical messages. Because then it's like up to me, okay, what are you going to teach? I love just teaching through the Bible, just teaching God's word, preaching God's word, preaching God's love, sharing God's message. 
Because what ends up happening is God, God begins to do a work in lives. God begins to do a work in marriages. God begins to stir people up to go out and do ministry, to rise up and you know, make those changes. Man, the chains are broken. God does a wonderful work in the preaching of his word. That's why he told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge you before God and the elect angels, before the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming and his appearing, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when they'll no longer endure sound doctrine. You know, I pray whatever church you end up in, whatever church you go to, that they would always teach you the Bible and then always preach the word. Because that's what God, that's what he's chosen to do to reveal his message to the people. We read that there again in verse 3, but has in due time, God's perfect time, manifested his word or revealed his message, how? Through preaching. And so one day maybe you go out and you start a church and you get tempted to do whatever it is, all the other things that the rest of the churches are doing, you get caught up in just nothing but videos or nothing but skits or nothing but social programs or whatever you know, it is that's popular whatever the fad is of the day. A lot of times there's experiences going on and people are running around, you know, and they think it's God and it's not really God because when God is moving and when God does a work and when God establishes church order, there's the preaching of his word. And it may not draw the crowds as fast and the church may not get as big, but it will get deep. Why? Because you're just preaching the word. Because God's word is a living word. God's word is a working word. And as you get this Bible sown in your heart, it'll bring forth fruit. See, and Paul, just in the very get-go, as he's just saying, you know, the salutation, it's so cool how he shares his purpose. He shares God's promise. And he shares the importance of preaching. And for us, it's a pastoral letter. It's a church letter. It's important for us to really, really know these things. You know, in due time, God manifests his word. And I love what Paul said. He said, you know what? It's not because I'm worthy and it's not because I'm able, but God committed this responsibility to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. And that's all it is. It's a calling on your life. Many of you here are called to preach the word. And you know, some of us, we do it from a pulpit. You might have some type of platform or maybe a class God's called you to teach, or maybe you'll be a missionary. I don't know what the the situation is going to be for your life, but wouldn't you say that all of us here, in some way, we share the word with other people? You know, many of you here do, and you get a t-shirt over there, and you throw the t-shirt on, and you say, okay, buddy, listen. (laughs) It's so cool. I wear the t-shirt, and a lot of times, man, people end up talking to me afterwards. You know, a lot of times people get mad at me. You know, I have a sign in my yard and it's a big sign, you know, for Christmas time. It says, celebrate Jesus. And the word Jesus is real big, the true reason for the season. And so people are coming up the street and they're like looking at it and they're like, oh, I don't like this guy. You know, I've even had times where they come in and they knock the sign down, right? doesn't matter. Just put it back up. Say, hey, man, we will preach Jesus Christ. We will preach the word. And even though sometimes you're like, Lord, is anything happening You know what? Things are happening. A lot of you here, some of you here, it's just so beautiful to see the way the Lord is working in your life. 
It's so beautiful to see the good works that, that you're doing. And it just, I just get blown away. You know, and you're thinking, well, you know, they would go to Calvary Chapel. They would go to Chuck or Raul or some of these guys, and they would say, man, how do you do it? You know, churches are shrinking, and, and you're, you're, the church that you're pastoring is growing. And so they come, and they send people from USC, you know, to study this. How do you do it? And Pastor Chuck just says, teach the word. You simply teach the word simply. And you leave the results in God's hands. You know, my job, you know, a lot of times I do, uh, I'm, I walk off here and I'm like, Lord, what did I say? And God says, well, did you read the Bible? And I said, yeah, I did read it, but I don't know what happened other than that. And God says, you just scatter the word, scatter the word. Some hearts here, they're open. And when that word falls on good ground, God brings forth good fruit. And so it kind of takes the pressure off. Of course, we pray and we want to do it with love. But I pray for you guys. I pray you would know the love of God. I pray you would know the power of God. I pray you would know that it doesn't matter the struggles that you're going through. God wants to work in you and God wants to work through you. You also got to know that the enemy's coming against you. The enemy's lying to you. Wherever God works, of course the enemy is going to try to stop that work. He's going to counter that work. But you hold strong. You keep coming. You keep staying open to the Lord. You know, we're not perfect, but we're proper. We're not who we want to be, but we're not who we used to be. God is working in your life. This is God's church. This is God's Bible. His spirit, the Bible says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're not alone. Sometimes we feel alone, but you're not alone. God is with you, and God is doing a wonderful work. And I love the way that Paul here, he just lays it all out so simple for us. I'm a, I'm a slave. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sent slave. And my purpose is to, you know, to be used by God somehow, some way, to bring people to him and to make people like him. All of this is founded on a promise that he said, I will give them eternal life. And this eternal life is not just a quantity of life, it's a quality of life. In John chapter 17, Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you. See, we know the Lord, man. We have a personal relationship with him. And we walk with him, and we talk with him, and he said... I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see? And I just pray, you guys, we would know that, that this is not a religion. It really is a relationship. And you guys, you listen to him, and he will lead your life. It's so cool when you walk with the Lord and you understand all these things. And so Paul knew his responsibility. And sometimes people say, well, I don't, you know, you, know, you get to do the preaching, and, and all I'm over here is doing whatever your, the side job is. But, you know, there's no such thing as a side job, you know? There's no place in the body of Christ that's more important than another. Now, some have more accountability in one sense. But you know what? As you guys are doing the sound, as you guys are, as you know, people are vacuuming, as people are taking care of the children, as people are doing ushering, whatever it is, together we, uh, we give this whole, you know, possibility of the word going out. See? And we work together. And one day, you know, I get rewarded and open. You know, people give me a Starbucks card. 
uh, for Christmas. Hey, Pastor Manny, here's a Starbucks card. No, I'm not hinting or anything. I'm just telling you, you know, what happens sometimes, you know? And, you know, and then the person over there behind the scenes, they don't get a Starbucks card. So what does that mean? That means that they're going to get a great reward in heaven. I got my reward. I had my, you know, grande vanilla latte, man. <laughs> but together, the word is going out. Lives are being changed. God is being glorified. His church is being edified. The lost are being evangelized. It's, all, it's just what a healthy church does. And Paul has it right here in the very beginning of the letter because it's just so important to him. This is who writes the letter. Paul says, this is who I am, what I do. And this is who receives the letter in verse 4. To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. So Paul writes this letter. And you know, guys know, it's AD 64, so he's going to die in two years. And he's got to pass the baton. Who do I pass the baton to? Oh, he finds a young guy over here. His name is Timothy. And he passes the baton to Timothy. He finds this young guy over here, Titus, and he passes the baton to him because he's teachable, because they've got the same mind. The Lord's got that calling on their life. And the Lord does a wonderful work. Now, Titus here is identified as a true son in the common faith, a genuine son, a real Christian. You can tell and you can see it all. It's all over his life. It's strongly believed that Paul must have been used by God to lead Titus to the Lord and so he calls him, you know, his son. Now we know that Titus is not mentioned in the book of Acts, but the 13 references in Paul's epistles make it clear that this young man was one of Paul's close and most trusted companions. Titus was a convert of Paul. Uh, and what we find is that this guy right here serves side by side. He must have been with him in the third missionary journey because he's mentioned uh, in his letter to the Corinthians on three occasions. Uh, he's mentioned in 2 Timothy when Paul is about to die, how Titus was with him, but then he sent him away. But he's written as Paul's gifted associate, partner, fellow worker, brother, and son in the faith. And it's so cool. Here's one thing I want to challenge you guys in, okay? All of you here, all of us here, you should have someone in your life who's kind of like a Paul. Someone that the Lord uses in your life to pour God's love into you. To pour God's truth into you. To one sense, say to every person, God has a calling on your life. Because everybody here has a calling. You know, I remember. I remember as a young Christian, my pastor, my pastor would say, God has a calling on your life. And he kept saying it. Until one day I believed him. We all need someone like that. We all need someone who says, you know what, encourages you, challenges you, exhorts you. We all need like a Paul in our life. 
But we also kind of need like a, a Titus in our life. We need a Timothy in our life. You know, you get, of course, your kids. It starts with your family. But you get some young guy and you get a young girl and you start pouring into them. You start praying for them. Right? We should have that. That's who Titus had. That's who Paul was. You know, Paul had Barnabas. It's so cool when you look at everything and you put it all together. And he just, he just writes this letter and he says to Titus, a true son in the faith. And it's cool because it's just the greeting. It's just a salutation. Uh, it's just his way of saying hi, you know. <laughs> Look what he says in verse 4, to Titus, a true son in our, in our common faith. And this is, but this is the way he says hi. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. You know, it's so cool. Don't you guys love the way that they said hi back then? How do we say hi? Hi. <laughs> what does that mean, hi? You know, I'm sorry, but... Or we might say, well, how are you doing? How are you doing today? And usually it's like, you're, you're lie. Oh, I'm doing great. Yeah, right. You're dying inside. You're doing great, right? I love their greetings, the Greek greeting or the Jewish greeting. The Greek greeting is grace. Imagine that, going up to somebody, going up to my brother, and, and it's, it's a prayer, grace grace to you, mercy to you. Isn't that beautiful? I love that rather than hi. I love that, man. Or the Jewish greeting, shalom, peace. So we could do this. Huh? Is that okay? We could do peace. But, you know, to me, it's like we need that so desperately because, again, and let me just close with this, you know, that there, there's so much going on in our life. There's so much going on in your life, and I know that not just because I'm a pastor, but I know that because I'm getting old. <laughs> and you learn as you go through life that everybody is going through hard times. And one of the things that I pray over your life is grace. I pray over your life is mercy. And I pray over your life is peace. That's a hard one, to have peace. But if you don't know Jesus Christ today, I pray that you would give your life to him so that you could have peace with God. And if you do know Christ, as you go through the hard times, I pray that not only would you have peace with God, but that you would have the peace of God. You want to know something, man? In your life, God's still on the throne. God still loves you. God still has great plans and purposes for you. And as you fix your eyes on the Lord, here's the thing, when you get your eyes on that person over there, here's my promise, you're not going to have peace. Get your eyes off that person. When you get your eyes on this situation or this circumstances, I promise you, you're going to go up and down and all around, you're not going to have peace. But when you and I get our eyes on Jesus Christ, Isaiah 26 verse 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. I pray we would have that. He's God, he's our savior, he's awesome, he loves us. He wants to work in us and he wants to work through us. And so as we start this new year, man, I pray. I pray for a new fire, I pray for a new work in, in all of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for loving us, Lord, for just allowing us to be here today. 
Father, as we see uh, Paul, what a, what a great work you did in his life. You get all the glory, Lord, as he was a slave, as he was sent. I pray we would, we would be the same, we would do the same. Thank you for his purpose, Lord, revealed here. Your purpose to bring people to you, to make people like you. Thank you for the promise of eternal life a quantity and quality of life. Knowing you, Lord, thank you for making it so simple. You just want us to teach the Bible and to live the Bible, to preach. Lord, I pray that we would know that, Lord, and that we as a church would be pleasing in your sight, Lord. Thank you for the Pauls that are here. Thank you for the Tituses that are here. And I pray for any man here, and we all have different callings, and none more important than others. But in one sense, Lord, I pray for men here that are called to teach your word and are called as missionaries, called as pastors. Lord, I pray for them, that you bless them, you strengthen them, and you give them the grace to follow that calling in their life. Bless your people. Lord, we pray. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.